If you would turn your attention over here to the baptism. Good morning, church. I hope you're all doing well. Welcome to uh, Carpenter's Way Church this morning. It's a special day uh, because we get to baptize one of our students this morning. Uh, so let me go ahead and invite her down. Kylie Hawkins, come on down. Oh, no one me. Good job, good job. You're all right, you're all right. Man, uh, so, uh, baptism. There's nothing special about this water. This water doesn't save you. It, it's Jesus. The Bible says that uh, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. There is no other name by which people can be saved. It is through faith in Christ Jesus alone. And so... Remember that this water isn't special except for the fact that it helps us to know that Kylie has made a decision to follow Christ 
for the rest of her life. And that's exciting. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So this is a day that she can mark. It's a day that we can mark uh, because her public profession of faith helps all of us to know that it's our responsibility to come alongside her, uh, to guide her, to disciple her into a mature disciple of Christ. All right. Uh, so now Kylie has something she'd like to share with you uh, just about her story and how she came to faith in Christ. You can do this, girl. You got it. <laughs> I'm going to open this up for you. All right. Going through some difficult times with my mom's health, I began to question my salvation. It's okay. At my cousin Ledson Williamson's funeral uh, is when I decided that I wanted to spend eternity in heaven. I wanted to know more about salvation. After talking to Miss Felicia, Miss Melissa, and Pastor Adams about my salvation, I question, I mean, <laughs> Sorry. I asked Jesus to come into my heart and forgive me for my sins and save me. I'm happy that I decided to follow Jesus, and I'm excited to see what God has planned for me in the future. Thank you for everyone who has helped me on this journey to my salvation. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to turn you around. Okay. Turn this way. There we go. All right. Take one step this way. Okay, perfect. All right. Hold your dog. Hold your dog. All right. Awesome. It is my privilege, my sister, to baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. Yeah. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. I forgot something. Come on back. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to invite your aunt, Ms. Reagan, to come up and pray for you, all right? <laughs> Everybody would bow with me. We're going to pray over Kylie this morning for um, her walk with Jesus. God, we come to you today, and we just we thank you so much for um, the best gift that you could ever give Kylie, and that's her salvation, that she gets to spend eternity in heaven with you. And, and God, we just... We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. And, um, Lord, I just I pray that you always let Kylie know that she's enough. And that when she's feeling lesser than, that you remind her that she belongs to, she is the daughter of the King Most High. She's royalty. And, God, I just pray that when um, burdens in her life come her way, that she knows that the only way um, to get through them is to turn to you, Lord. And God, I just pray blessings over her life. I pray that you continue to walk with her on her journey because it doesn't stop here. It only starts. And God, I just pray safety over her. And Lord, we don't know what the future holds, but we love you and we know that you're faithful to us and we trust you, God. And, and Lord, we just love you so much and we praise your name. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. That never gets old, right? Watching that. Such a good reminder for all of us. I think every time we do this, it's like, man, this is real. This is real what we do, right? Um, if you are here and you're wanting to learn more about Carpenter's Way, we have a class called Carpenter's Way 101. It's our way of becoming a new member, uh, but you're not going to be a member at the end of the class, so don't be scared. We're not taking any blood or anything like that. You're not signing anything. It's just, a, it's just an opportunity for you to get to know 
It's kind of how Carpenter's Way operates, what we believe, those kind of things. So if you're interested in that, we are actually starting that in the library right now. So you can get up and head that way, and we'll all give you a cheer as you go. Or not. <laughs> hey, I usually give you guys an option of standing or not. Not today. So stand up. And uh, we've done this a bunch. We usually have these cute little girls up here showing you the motions. And I think by now you guys should know the motions. So here we go. I wanna grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me And show, show, show how your love has set me free And go, go, go tell the world so they can see Never gonna let me go Shout it out You are my God Shout it out My Savior has set me free Not to us but for your glory Sing that again Shout it out You're never gonna let me go Shout it out You are my God Shout it out my Savior has set me free, not to rise, but for your glory. Here we go, I want to grow. I want to grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me. And show, show, show how your love has set me free. And go, go, go tell the world so they can see you're amazing. Shout it out, shout it out, I want the world to see, shout it out, you have changed me, shout it out, my lips will forever sing, not to us, but for your glory. All that you have for me And show, show, show How your love has set me free And go, go, go Tell the world so they can see I want to grow, grow, grow Into all that you have for me And show, show, show How your love has set me free And go, go, go Tell the world so they can see Not a shame I'm not ashamed to shout your name. I'm not ashamed to shout your name. I'm not ashamed to shout your name. I'm not ashamed. Here we go. I wanna grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me. Show, show, show how your love has set me free And go, go, go tell the world so they can see I want to grow, grow, grow into all that you have for me And show, show, show how your love has set me free And go, go, go tell the world so they can see You're amazing 
you're amazing You guys sound and look good Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope, no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Ash was redeemed, only beauty remained. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet and my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now. Life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new now life begins with you release from my chains I'm a prisoner my shame was a ransom he faithfully bore he canceled my debt and he called me his friend Darkness rejoices, oh, heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom and pain. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over.
scripture together. <laughs> God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. All it takes is a moment. All it takes is a word to bring light to the dark and give life to this heart. You are hope, you are peace to my soul. You're the one who sustains me. You're the voice speaking truth. I could search all the earth to find something of worth, but all that I need is in you, captivated. My heart's awakened. You are my delight, overtaken by your amazing love. I can't deny.
God, we stand amazed. We stand amazed at you. God, we stand amazed at the fact that you would look at us and, and be pleased and honored and, and make you happy to call us your own. God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the fact that you took our sin and you did away with it. So God, I ask, Lord, that you would just help us now that our sin has been removed to trust you, to trust you every day, Lord, to look at you and you alone. God, we thank you and we praise you. Amen. What a great worship package this morning, watching the young lady be baptized. Wow, that's just such a wonderful reminder of what we have in Christ. And as we were singing these last songs, I was just thinking, God doesn't only love you, He actually likes you. I mean, He wanted to walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the, the day in the garden. Even after they had blown it, He came to meet with them. He begged Cain, basically, to give the right sacrifice. I mean, He doesn't just love you. He likes you. And I hope that when we come to Scripture and we come to God, that we actually understand that it is from that perspective that, uh, that the Lord works. Um, I just want to make one quick announcement. Every year, the last Sunday of February, we have a missions, an annual mission Sunday, and that is next Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, and it is a special time. Uh, it's one of my favorite Sundays of the year, and next week is going to be no exception. We invite uh, our missionaries that are able and the mission agencies that you support. If you give regularly to Carpenter's Way, then, then uh, a, a significant percentage of your giving goes towards both permanent and short-term mission work. Uh, globally, that is one of the core values of Carpenter's Way. And so next Sunday, we are de dedicating the whole service to that. Our morning time will be about that. We're going to hear from the mission investment team. Uh, and then out there, after the service, you're going to see our welcome area, and if it's nice outside, some front area filled with uh, mission tables where you can learn information from our missionaries. You'll get to know them and meet them and ask them questions. So next Sunday morning during the 11 o'clock hour, there isn't Bible study. Uh, there will be some children's ministry, but halfway through, we'll dismiss, uh, we'll have you go pick up your kids so that the, uh, the leaders of that ministry can come out and see uh, the ministries that they invest in as well. Look, you invest in these ministries. If you uh, grew up as a Southern Baptist, then you're not used to how we do missions. Uh, Carpenter's Way does give to the International Mission Board a significant tens and thousands of dollars that come from your offerings. But on top of that, we dedicate an, uh, even more money towards individual ministries and mission works that are not part of the uh, North American Baptist, or I'm sorry, International Mission Board. And uh, that includes things like Pregnancy Health Center, Mosaic Center, Seasons of Hope, and other ministries. And you're going to be able to meet them next week and hear from some of our missionaries. If you are uh, not paying attention to Facebook much, I just want to direct you to that. If you have a Facebook account, go to the church's Facebook account. Because every day since I think last Thursday, we have been posting until next Sunday uh, updated greetings from our missionaries. They're about three or four minutes each where they're just telling you what's going on right now in their ministries and where they are. And this is a way for you to get to know them. So we encourage you to, to look at that. I posted one this morning and we're posting every day until next Sunday. So make sure you're a part of that as well. So uh, with that in mind, uh, let's, let's jump into our, our study this morning. Uh, we are presently, for those of you who are visiting with us and watching online, who haven't been with us recently, we are presently in a series called Living in Exile. It is a study of 1st and 2nd Peter. 
and we find ourselves in the third chapter of 1 Peter right now. But this morning, um, I'd like to do a sidebar conversation, and that is to revisit a verse uh, as I've been listening to you talk, as I've been asked questions, as we've had our own Bible study that Julie and I are a part of, there is some questions that I want to go back and spend some time on, and it resol- revolves around 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And I, I think it's really, really important uh, that we understand, um, well, this, dear friends, I warn you as exiles, temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. So this verse is what I want to talk about this morning because the fact is, I think that there's some of us, you know, we know God is our dad, and so there are certain expectations we have for our Father in heaven because most of us who are parents or grandparents have these desires for our own kids and grandkids, and that's that they live free of struggle and temptation and difficulty and pain, But the reality is God uses those things to grow us up. And and, um, this text itself tells us as believers, dear friends, I warn you as exiles, temporary residents and foreigners, that's what we've been talking about every week, that there is a war still waged within us. I remember when I was a student in Bible college and in seminary, there is this debate in among Christian circles on whether or not when you get saved, the old nature is killed or the old nature is still present. But whatever it is, and this debate still rages today, what we do know is as a Christian, our worldly desires wage war against our holy souls. We have been declared pure and holy, but our flesh doesn't know it. That's why we have to die. That's why we will leave behind the skin. That's why we leave behind the flesh. That's why in the new Jerusalem, we will receive new bodies. That's why we will will be made anew yet again. That's why salvation is a three-step process. At the moment of salvation, you are justified. You will never be rejected by God. You are declared right with Him. You have a right relationship with Him. But then we go through life, and this is a sanctification process. In other words, I'm becoming daily more like Christ as I get to know Him. That's the process we're discussing. That's where we live. That's the war that wages. But one day, we will go be with him, and our salvation will be complete as we're glorified. We'll never struggle with sin again. We'll never struggle with injustice. We'll never struggle with frustration. So there's a three-phase process by which we're saved. Once for all at the moment of confession, then as we become more like Christ, we get saved. I pray that every Sunday you come in here, you are saved from the ramifications of sin in your life. Because sin, discouragement, depression, frustration, anger, they wage war against our holy souls. What we long for is what heaven offers, where justice reigns, social justice reigns. And by the way, heaven is not a democracy, it's a theocracy. But the king is just and loving and kind and and serious. But, he, but, but, but you know what? We're taken care of. Our needs are cared for. There's no sickness and don't, dying there. And that's what we all long for. It's what we pray for. But the reality is it is not what we will receive until we are glorified, until we come to that third phase of salvation in heaven. And, and the reason I want to take time to talk about this this morning is because I don't want to just get up here and just say to you, stop sinning. 
Stop being discouraged. Stop being angry at the government of the United States. Stop being angry at the world. What I want to do is I want to say, just like Peter, that is a struggle because your flesh is still raging. When you see what's going on in our culture, when you see what our government's doing, when you see what's going on in the Ukraine, and there are so many believers in Ukraine that are going to be affected if this war starts. And as we look at this, sometimes our flesh boils and we want to scream out, what are you doing? How stupid can you be? That's the war. What does God want me to do? Why am I still here? And, and over the last few months, we've been learning that we are actually God's temple. That, that Jesus, and I'm, I'm going to show this video in two weeks again because it's a good reminder that, that uh, the earth is fallen. It, it is, it is it's decaying. People die. And why? Because of the result of sin. And I'm not going to go into all the reasons for that this morning, but that is what Scripture teaches, that death entered the story of humanity when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate from the fruit of, uh, that he told them not to eat from. Death reigns in this world. But Jesus came as the temple of God. Remember, he said, I'm going to destroy this temple in three days, raise it up. Jesus Christ came as the temple of God's presence where people could meet and develop a right relationship with God through him on the cross. And his temple was re resurrected three days later. And for the next 40 days, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. And then he left and he sent his Holy Spirit. And now we are the temple of his presence. I, I, I get it, but I struggle whenever I hear somebody say, let's go to God's house. You know, God's house is actually the temple. It's not the church. Never in Scripture is the location of a gathering of believers called the church or the temple of God or, or the house of God. That's Southern. It's American. It's not how it's laid out in Scripture. Actually, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit right now. You as a child of God are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives within you. And so the truth is, you are the home of God on this world. We are the hot spot of his presence in an evil world. So when people come to you out there, even if they are not saved, even if they are wicked, even if they are whatever, depraved in their thinking, when they come to you as a child of God and say, will you pray for me? I am. And they fill in the gap and you go, you don't even believe. Oh, that was a spit. You don't even believe in God. That's the wrong reaction. You see, they're coming to you and me because they, we are the temple of God's presence. The Holy Spirit lives within me. And my response should be, yes. Franklin Graham is getting nailed today because yesterday he asked Christians to pray for Putin. Why did he ask Christians to pray for Putin? So that he wouldn't start a war. And everybody's like, you're praying for Putin and you are a pro-Trump guy and you hate Biden. You should ask your people to pray for Biden. It's so crazy. Remember, the world doesn't understand what we're doing here. We pray for wisdom for Putin, for peace. We pray that God protects Ukraine. We pray that God protects Ukrainian Christians. And even if he doesn't, we know he's in control. But the world doesn't understand our role. I'm not even sure Christians understand our role. You and I don't become the hotspot of God's presence when we gather. We are the hotspot of God's presence seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Whether we're alone in our homes or whether we are eating at, uh, uh, I don't know, wherever you eat lunch. I keep promoting different restaurants so that I'm equal, but I'm running out of restaurants to promote. It's just, you understand what I'm saying. So, so when you leave here, you are the hot spot of God's presence. And, and, and so we, we start to understand, and we, we've been talking about what that means and the ramifications of that. Because the problem is that as we pray, for instance, we prayed the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray it in King James with me? Our Father which art in heaven, this part, thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is. Okay, time out. Time out, Baptist Christians. Um, we, we are not creedal. And even Assembly of God, I mean evangelical Christians, we're not creedal, so we don't pray the Lord's Prayer very much. Unless you go into a liturgical church, that's a huge mistake. We should pray the Lord's Prayer, but you better think about what you're praying. Two things in that, ver- that prayer that, that just rock my world. Number one, forgive me my trespasses. And I never pray the next line because I don't like the next line. So yeah, you're already laughing. You forgive me as I have forgiven others. Oh, okay, so don't, don't pray that part. Um, but actually, what, what you just said, though, where we ended, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that for a second. We pray, and what we're actually asking God to do is send his angels down and say, God exists, and we are going to make you have the values of heaven. But that's actually not necessarily what we're praying. We're praying that God's will would be done on earth. And what if he answers that prayer through his church? What if we are supposed to be living the values of heaven. You know, the crazy ones, like praying for your enemies, like loving those who persecute you, like turning the other cheek. I mean, those are the values of heaven that Jesus talked about, right? Like not being satisfied with not committing adultery, but actually choosing to guard your eyes and not lust. Realizing that in God's economy, it isn't murdering somebody that's just considered murder, it's hating somebody. Or how about this one, using the word raka in Greek, which means fool, calling somebody a fool, calling somebody a name. It offends God. And we go, well, that, you know, I'll never do that. Why? Because it's waging war against our soul. Our, our soul and our flesh are at war. The Holy Spirit that lives within me is going, act like Jesus. My flesh is going, I'll act like Jesus tomorrow. You can laugh because you've all done it. Today, I'm going to badmouth somebody. Today I'm going to, and, and you can fill in the blank. I mean, I think personally, and we all know this, I think that the church for so long has, has talked about not drinking, not dancing, not smoking, but has ignored gossip. We call it the prayer chain. Or how about my evangelical Southern brothers and sisters? How about overeating, says the fat preacher? I mean, the, fa- the fact, somebody said Yahoo. Okay, so, so just... Uh, This morning is brought to you by Brookshire Brothers Chicken, which is the best chicken I've ever put in my mouth. Uh, It's it's so good. In fact, forget the chicken, just give me the skin. It's just so good, and I can't have you laughing out of guilt. It's it's so good, but the thing is, you're not supposed to have 32 pieces. And we love that. We call them, you know, eating on the grounds or whatever. We, We love that, and I know COVID has kind of ruined that even with our agape feast. We will it someday do it again, but... It's kind of scary right now to have somebody, 15 people in front of you sneezing on your food. So we'll forget all this in a few years and we'll go back to it. But the, the, the fact is that we have ignored the values of heaven that don't seem to be so big that the world isn't participating in, and we trash the world as if they're supposed to have the values of heaven instead of looking inward. The reason we gather is to remind each other of that. But I, I really find encouragement in this text. 1 Peter 2.11, would you put it up there? For me again. And, and I want this to be a way of encouragement, not like you big, lousy Christians, but think about it, dear friends, I'm warning you. So Peter is writing a warning. A warning is loving. I, I warn you, as exiles, it's as bad as you think. You're not welcomed in Jerusalem and you're not welcomed in, in Rome. And we've been talking about this for weeks, so you know what I'm what are you saying? You're exiles. It's as bad as you think. I warn you, though, keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. And then he goes on and he gives examples of it. For instance, if you're a slave and your slave master is cruel, trust God in your slavery. 
Last week, women submit to your husbands. Husbands, honor your wife. Well, you don't know my wife, or you don't know my husband. There's not, that exception isn't in there. These are the values of heaven. We talk about how do, how do we react to Nero the emperor. He actually mentions Nero, but not by name, but the king or emperor. How do you react to him? You honor him and you pray for him. What? He's evil. Yeah, but we are the hotspot of God's presence. We are the exiles. We're the freaks, not them. So we shouldn't react like them. The church in much of her glory is reacting to the world in the same way the world reacts to us. And, and we're just as volatile. We're just as, just as dark with our words. And, and instead of actually going, how would God... Ha I mean, we're not really part of this world anymore. We've adopted out of it. And I find this comforting because he acknowledges that, we, that, the, that the worldly desires wage war inside of me. So to my friends that are part of the Church of Wells or the super legalistic Baptist or Pentecostal or whatever you are that says that you can live sin-free, I, I just want to say that that's not, what, that's not what Peter says. It's a conflict. And we know from example in the book of Acts that Peter struggled with this. He struggled with racism it's a battle that wells up within us, and I want to encourage you with that to say that when we talk about how to treat the emperor or the king or our president, or when we talk about how to treat your spouse, or when we talk about how to treat your boss, or if you're a slave, and I know we don't have the United States, but if you are a slave, how you treat your cruel slave master, we're talking about not something that comes natural to the child of God, but is supernatural. And so it's hard and, and I thought in the, in the minutes we had today that this would be a really good discussion for us to have. And, and I, want to, I want to take you to where an apostle, you know, one of the big guys who wrote most of the New Testament, we're talking about Paul. Paul is the ultimate theologian, we would agree, right? He, he sacrificed so much of his life for the service of the Lord. And, and Paul wrote this in Romans 7, and bear with me because I do want to put it within its context. So the beginning's a little boring, but it's important when we, and I'll tell you when we get to the part, but you need to see this. This is the point. So what, Paul, what's the point? The point of Romans 1, 1 through 7, 3 is this. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ, and now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. So you're saved is what he's saying. As a result, we can now produce a harvest of good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our own nature, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we've been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. And a lot of people go, wow, that's great. I, so I don't, I don't even struggle with sin anymore. Pay, pay attention later. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is I'm no longer cow, captive to the power of sin. In other words, as a child of God, I am declared pure and holy. And even if I struggle, even if I concede to sin, its power will not condemn me because I have been redeemed. All right, you with me so far? So let's keep going. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law by the Ten Commandments, but in a new way of living in the Spirit. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful or bad or silly? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said to me, you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kind of covetous desires within me. 
If there was no law, sin would not have that power. And at one time, I lived without understanding the law. But then when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which are supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. And I'll explain all this later for those of you who don't understand this, who haven't studied it. But still, the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good, the law, to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes so that the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. Okay, here we go. That's the context of what Paul is about to say. The war within this apostle is described as this. Next verse. The trouble is with me. Present tense. So what I'm about to read to you is debated in Bible schools and seminaries, to be fair, that Paul is going back now and he's talking about his life before salvation. There's only one problem with that. He uses present tense. He doesn't say, before I was saved, this. He says, the problem is, present tense, with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Does it sound familiar to anybody but me? But I know that what I am doing is wrong. This shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin living within me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. So now he's explaining it at the end. Now I know in the church we look at all the big words, but I want to point out the small words. He is saying that it's not the Holy Spirit within him that's wrong. He is saying that sin that's still waging war in him. So he's got the Holy Spirit that has purified his soul, but within him the flesh, this, this thing is still drawn like a dog to its vomit. Remember that passage? We're still drawn to do the wrong thing. Why? Because it serves itself. He says, he goes on, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, ah, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what's wrong. What a depressing preacher. <laughs> but it's familiar, isn't it? Like last week, ladies, when you decided to submit to your husbands, and then you went home, and he complained about Berkshire Brothers chicken, and you went, oh God, I am not going to submit right now. I'm going to start tonight. I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power that makes me a slave to the sin is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And again, he's talking as a believer. He's talking as an apostle. This is the guy that we all go, man, he was fully devoted. This was the guy who gave up his wealth and his life and his family and all of his fame, and he was persecuted. He even died for the faith. How He was perfect. And you look at this and you go, wow, there was something underneath the surface that really was, was bubbling up like a volcano. What a passage. It begins to, that de, by declaring that he, as a forgiven and freed follower of Christ, is dead to the power of the law, and yet, despite being forgiven by God's grace through faith, he wants, so badly wants to do what's right, but the harder he seems to try to do it, the more he fails. 
and I'm not saying that secretly he's killing people. I am saying that even when he finishes a message, and boy, does this sound familiar to your pastor, but he finishes a message on grace and mercy and, and love, somebody comes up to him after and reminds him that he killed his cousin or he arrested his cousin, and he goes, shut up. And then he realizes, I just said shut up. I, I just did that. I just, wow, wow, this, this flesh. And I'm just using an example because that never happens to any of you, right? Where all of a sudden you just explode with an honest reaction that shows where our flesh really is, right? And then we go to our spouses or our best friends or our, our Sunday school class and we explain it away. I shouldn't have said that. But the truth is, and then you go on and explain why it's okay for you to do that when it's not okay for everybody else. I mean, maybe you've posted something on Facebook and you, you, hit, you hit send instead of delete. And then somebody confronts you on it or the Holy Spirit confronts you on it and you delete it a day later, but then you spend the next day telling people why you posted it in the first place and why it's right even though God doesn't want you to post it. Why? Because that's what our flesh does, doesn't it? Our flesh wants to be right. And here's the hard part about, about submitting to the emperor or your slave master or, or, uh, or, or uh, submitting to your husband who's not worthy of your submitting by your estimation or honoring your wife. The problem is, is even when we want to do it, even when we decide to do it, we want somebody to know that we're doing it. It'll at least make us feel better about ourselves. So I secretly meet with Julie and I say, honey, I want you to know I did something that nobody knows about. I did it just for the Lord and not for the glory of the church, so I'll never tell anybody what I've done. But I want you to know, Julie, that it's just for God, and nobody will ever know, sweetheart, and it's really important that you know. And underneath, I'm going, I want somebody to tell me I did a good job with that thing. And actually, Jesus addressed that in his upside-down kingdom. If you get praise for man, I won't need to praise you because you've already received your praise. Isn't that crazy? You see, everything about this life is upside down, backwards, and against what we feel. And I'm not talking here this morning about committing adultery, although that fits into this, or looking at porn late at night, which fits into this. I'm actually talking about some things we do for spiritual reasons. When we get up here and I preach a good message and I high-five myself, that was the best message these people will ever hear in their life. Aren't they blessed to have me? Boom, no gifts. I mean, we all do it. Even when you don't want to do it, man, inside you start going, I need to let Adam know who's walking down and come forward, young man. Come on. I'm just trying to humble you because everybody thinks you're awesome because you preached what I threw up five weeks ago. I'm in my fifth week of not throwing up from the pulpit. I just want you all to know that. Feeling good about myself? Thank you. One person is clapping and they're on paid staff. I mean, you know what I'm talking about here. The problem is that even if I live a moral life, Underneath, I'm really proud of my morality. I think the whole church has developed a whole idea about morality on that. We look at each other and we go, our church isn't an adulterous church. It isn't a homosexual church. It isn't a murdering church. We're a good church. That has nothing to do with what a good church is. A good church is a church that's completely surrendered to the Holy Spirit, even if everybody else thinks they're crazy. A man or woman of God is a man or woman who, who doesn't do what their flesh tells them they need to do. They do what God tells them to do. And that's really hard. As I preach through 1 Peter and I'm talking about these things, I just don't want anybody to kind of walk away and go, well, he makes it sound so easy. I, I don't think this is easy. I think this is impossible without God. This is a war at every level. I remember in high school, and I've been very honest, and if you're visiting with us, um, please bear with me. 
I want to start with the small print, and that is to say that at Carpenter's Way, when I started here 16 years ago, I made a decision that I wasn't going to present a pastoral image. I, was, I just wanted to be God's man, and I was going to be honest. And so I've shared with our flock that I, in high school, I didn't struggle with porn. I just invested in it. It wasn't a struggle at all. And I remember as a kid, though, and so what I'm going to say, please bear with me. As a high school kid, I remember praying, God, if you will just, just take away this desire, just take away the porn thing, I will be such a godly man. i got to tell you something. I'm 55 now. And porn was easy to overcome compared to the things I'm battling with right now. And some of you are like, what are you battling with? Pride? Arrogance? A bad attitude at times? Feeling sorry for myself? You know, with, with porn, adultery, murder, same-sex activity, sex outside of marriage, like, you know what you're doing. I mean, you really have to rationalize it to think God's okay with all that, right? But when it comes to pride, you don't. You can just go, oh, are they blessed to have me? You know, there's, there's, a story about, <laughs> there's a story about a pastor who preaches the message of his life. He's visiting a church, and he preaches the message. And he, After the message is over, man, everybody line up to tell him how good he did. I mean, old school, he's at the door, and everybody, and he's just, I mean, everybody, the elders, the deacons, the whole church, but he noticed that his wife hasn't said anything. So they get in the car after, and she still hasn't said anything. And they're driving down the road, and he knows she wants to tell him how good he is, but she just hasn't felt right yet. So he starts opening the door. Honey, did you see the line of people to tell me I really preached my greatest message of all time? She nods. Next light. Sweetheart, I felt so blessed this morning to be a preacher. So great. She nods. Doesn't say anything. Now he's getting upset because he's offered her the opportunity to tell him how great he is. At the third light, she looks, she, Julie, Julie's covering her face. She, the third light, she's looking at him and he says, honey, there just aren't that many great Bible expositors left in the country. She looks over at him and she says, sweetheart, there's one less than you think. <laughs> That's the fleshy battle, is it not? And then he starts arguing the rest of the way. Honey, I'm not asking everybody to tell me how great I am. I just want... I just want once in a while to be appreciated. Oh, my gracious. It's so deceitful. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I, I'm not just talking about even sin, okay? I'm talking about fear. I mean, we, and, and I'll get to this at the end of this message, but the, but the fact is, even fear. You know, I, if we are children of God and we have, well, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We, we all know that, Right? But as we pray and ask God to forgive us, the truth is he's cleansed us from all unrighteousness. So yes, we battle with sin, but that's not really our battle because it's been forgiven. Our battle is trusting God. It really is. The reason we choose sin over keeping our mouth shut sometimes is because we think God takes too long, so I need to, I need to insert how I feel in the middle. Then I'll apologize, but everybody still knows, you know? I mean, it's a little bit like the joke that I make. Somebody calls at 6 o'clock on a Saturday morning and goes, Pastor, I hate to bother you at 6 o'clock on a Saturday morning, and I always want to go, but you are going to, aren't you? I mean, it's too late. Thanks for apologizing, but it's still 6 o'clock Saturday morning. When you start by apologizing for what you're about to say, maybe you shouldn't say it. You should just go for it. But we all, we all kind of do that. We, we put our truth out there, then we apologize for it, but our, 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 our whatever it is is still out there. And what God is saying is, I want you to quit talking. Well, if I don't say it, who will? 
And you can kind of hear the whisper of the Lord going, maybe I don't want it said. Well, if we don't fight for America, who will? The king of the universe will if he wants to. So you want America to fall? I didn't say that. I, I just want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, that's really hard, isn't it? Or, or maybe to go through a divorce where your spouse had an affair and they're out there trashing you and you feel the need to trash them back. Why? Because truth must be spoken. Must it? I thought God was just, and in the end, he said, I will vindicate you. Well, you take too long, God. I don't want it in the next life. I want it now. That's the battle. The battle is we can rationalize truth. It needs to be spoken, and God's going, does it? Do you not trust me? So it isn't just with the words we say in sin, but it's also with our lives. We get diagnosed with cancer. We, get, we have a heart attack, and we go, God, what are you doing? Surely this isn't your will. And God goes, is it not? You know, I don't need a heart attack or a stroke or cancer to kill you. I can take you home for no reason. Actually, I've taken people home in chariots of fire before. We actually believe, our flesh, that if we do A, B, and C, then D will happen, and we forget that as children of God, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, we have been bought with a high price, and He owns it all. And He doesn't have to ask our permission based upon our surrender. I mean, we, we watched... This morning, a young lady say, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, whether she knows what that means next week or not, where is she? I know she's in the room. Smile at me. She's, oh, she's, she's in the back still. She's getting all prettied up. But, but the, you, you, you and I, who are over 45, who have been walking with God for many years, now know that her life is the Lord's, and she's going to struggle with that, right? That's the battle within us. The battle within us is a desire to live. We're being told by pastors that we should seek to live our best life now. And God responds to that going, if you live your best life now, you will not be with me in eternity. This is the worst life now. Trust me in it. Why? Because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we just read, we just read where Paul says in Romans 7, 14, and 15, and I, I know I've got you, oh, you are so on, on game Right now, these poor computer people back there, I never follow my outline. I am all too human. I'm a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I actually hate. And then I end up standing in front of the church and apologizing the next week. That's the life, isn't it? That's the life. Have you ever felt what he says in, in Romans 7, 22 through 24? I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me. This is, uh, that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Wow. Would you jump uh, with me, Louise? to Romans 5.21, please. Just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules, giving us a right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this is the point, Romans 7.4. I'm going to run through Scripture, and then I want to bring you to what I want to show you actually in the time we have remaining. This is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ, and now you are united with the one who, raised, who was raised from the dead. As a result now, 
we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. I want you to pay attention here because most of us grew up in a church or hear preaching still to this day where you spend your whole life trying not to break God's laws. And we do that so that we can be usable by God, right? But we're so busy staring in the mirror at our sinfulness that, that we never look away from ourselves at God. To, to the legalist, Romans 7, 6 says, now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, which is what a lot of us grew up in. There are still churches that teach that the Ten Commandments is the road to good living for a child of God, when actually Scripture says that it is the, it is the monument by which we, we know how sinful we are. So the new life of serving God is in a new way of living, verse 7, 6. Look at this living the new way of living in the Spirit. So in other words, if you are an Old Testament Hebrew, you stare at the law. If you are a New Testament follower of Jesus, you, well, will you put it up there for me? Hebrews, please. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And Louise, we are on a free-for-all now. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I, I want you to notice this. You know these verses. You've heard them since childhood. I've shared them with you here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Don't go yet. Don't, don't give the secret away. So we look at this verse. This verse has been preached. We go, yes, there's this battle in my soul. And then we've got the author of the Hebrews that's going, so we need to cast off those sins that easily tangle us up. We shouldn't go to porn or we shouldn't go to magazine shops. We shouldn't go to strip clubs. We shouldn't go to bars. We should, and, and you make a list of things that you shouldn't do. But here's the ironic part. It just told us to cast off the things that easily, easily, easily tangle us up. Verse 2, throw it up there. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion. And, and I, I really don't like how the translation, it does a good job with words, but it misses the point. It's actually saying the champion, the winner, the completer. It's, it's not like the Olympics. It's an illustration. The, the champion of your salvation, the one who saved you, he started it and he's perfected your faith. So in other words, where a lot of preaching, a lot of teaching, a lot of self-guilt gets you to look inward, what the author of Hebrews is saying, you need to completely trust the Lord and take your eyes off yourself. So while I have this battle within me that even Paul is struggling with, who is going to save me from this body of death? I'm so miserable. I don't do the things I should. I do the things that I hate. And it's all those emotions that even we have. The conclusion of that is, how do you overcome that? Stop looking inward. Stop comparing yourself to the law. Well, how will I know what sin is? You know what sin is. You all know. Don't act dumb. You're not dumb. The Holy Spirit that lives within you, child of God, tells you, even when you do something that appears right on the outside and everybody is praising you for, if you do it in your flesh, the Holy Spirit goes, well, I hope that was a good experience because I'm never going to talk about it with you about it again. A lot of stuff we do in the name of Jesus is self-serving, is it not? And we are here to serve God. Well, a minute ago, we sang a song that Chad wrote about freedom. Well, there's one part of that song missing, and we learned it in 1 Peter. And that is, we have been set free, but 1 Peter says, but we're still, don't forget, a slave of God. You see, the only reason we're even here is to serve Him. 
And the problem is, and this is, again, what I wanted to talk about this morning, the problem is that we have this battle within us going, if I don't say this, nobody else will. If I don't write this wrong, who will? I've been put on this planet to fight this battle. And God goes, you've been put on this planet to make my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, at least in your circle. Well, it's not working, God. The world is not coming to you. A, that's none of your business. B, you don't know that to be true. Ukraine may erupt in a horrific war where thousands, if not millions of people die, hundreds of thousands of people may die in a war with Russia. And you're going to throw your head back again, a lot of us, and go, here we go again. Did America help start the war? Did we stop the war? Are we protecting? Should we be doing more? And you'll throw your head back just like you do with coronavirus and everything else and go, what is going on in the world? And my answer to that is exactly what Scripture said goes on in the world. This world is out of control. It is depraved in its thinking. It thinks it can fix itself without God. By the way, that's what's going on in Israel right now. The problem with the, the Hebrew nation right now is that they still have not reconformed themselves to the Mosaic Covenant agreement they made with God as a people. You may want to help Israel, but I just want you to know the Israel you and I know today is not under submission to God. And the day is coming when they will be. If they rebuild the temple tomorrow and they put a, uh, a, the, the right offerings on the altar, they are still not submitting to God because it begins with repentance. Remember that verse that's taken out of context all the time? If my people, by the way, the patriarchs of Israel were called Israel, if my people, who are called by my name, that's the nation of Israel, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. The truth is, it doesn't matter how many religious things that people do, whether it's the Hebrew people or Christians in this country, no matter how many things we do religiously, taking communion, going to church, singing hymns or choruses, no matter how many things we do in our own power, it doesn't please God. What pleases God is a humble and contrite spirit. The person, the man or woman that says, my life is hard, but I will trust God. Okay, taking you one more verse at the end of Romans. Romans, let's see, hold on just a second. So 724, who will free me from the life that is dominated by sin and death? Verse 25. I'm going to give you a second, Louise, to find it. I know I'm throwing you all over the place. Romans 7, 25. The question. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Romans 7, 25. Thank God. The answer is who? So even the Christians battle. So, so we came to Jesus, right? There's a picture. I don't know if that's him or not, but a guy painted it and said it was. So, but that's his name. So we come to Jesus' salvation, and I would like to say that I think for some reason we, avo uh, we avoid him for our sanctification, our transformation. Paul is saying, why do I keep doing the wrong things? Why do I keep doing things I shouldn't do? Why am I still struggling with flesh? Why, why, why? Who is going to save me from this, present tense? And the answer is still Jesus Christ. The answer was Jesus Christ before salvation. The answer is Jesus Christ after salvation. The answer will be Jesus Christ on the rapture day. You see, the farther we get away from Jesus as a church, the more we fall in love with Christianity without Jesus Christ. And I think that's the struggle we have in the church. The struggle in the church is we keep telling you what sin is and not who Jesus is. 
And just identifying sin for you, it didn't work for Israel and it's not going to work for you. What will work for us is Him. It's not a list of things you shouldn't do, but the one you should know that matters. And I plead with you, family, to join me in surrendering my life to Jesus, not Baptist. Not morality, not America, not traditionalism, not even your flesh. God is fighting for you, and if he wants, he will fight through you in his power. Your job, not your wife or your husband's job, your job is to surrender. Who is going to free me from the life dominated by sin? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied on our behalf or for us who, are no, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead, what's that last line? Follow the Spirit. So no matter how many good messages you've heard on on your sin and how you're screwing up and stop it, this is saying that that's worldly. Actually, what we're called to do is to follow the Spirit. So instead of listing sins for you this morning, I want to list one thing that we need to do as a church. We need to give our lives to the control of the Holy Spirit, nothing more. If last week's message you went home and said, okay, I've got to be a more submissive wife, and you asked the Lord to help you be a submissive wife or a, or a wife-honoring husband, if you walked out of this service praying that you would be a better husband or a better wife, you missed the point of the text. While the application is there, how you get there is not by the way you prayed. How you get there is going, I am not what I should be. I give myself to you. Make me what you want me to be. There should never be an application for you to stop drinking, stop smoking, stop looking at porn. The application is give your life to Jesus. Because if everybody in this room surrendered their life to the control of the Holy Spirit and we all decided that we were at war with our flesh, guess what? Our eyes would be on Jesus and not each other. Our eyes would be on Jesus and not ourselves. Our eyes would be on Jesus. The Holy Spirit would begin to transform us and we would begin to ask ourselves, what did Jesus do? Not even what would Jesus do, but what does he want to do through me? We would stop judging people based upon their sexual orientation we would stop judging people based upon their political persuasion. We would stop evaluating life based upon the future of this country. And we would look at one thing. What does Jesus want to do in our community, in our family, and in our country? And that's where I want to shoot. The problem is, man, that war wages in my flesh. I want a conservative country with a conservative president who speaks truth and is godly like what was his name, the last president? There's a godly man. Except that he doesn't know which way to hold the Bible. I know I always get text messages when I go after Trump. I just want you to know he's not a godly man. Okay? He may be your president, but he's not a godly man. 
Biden probably knows more about the Bible than Trump, and maybe he's given his life to Christ because of Franklin Graham. All I know is our redemption is not found in Washington, D.C. It is found there. There. And it's not the redemption of the country God wants. It's the redemption of our souls and the focus of our life. And it is a war. It's hard to trust. 1 Peter 2.25. Here we go. Big finish. I'm going to get done before 11. And all God's people said, that hurts my feelings every time you do that. This is the bottom line. This is the thing that I really want you to be encouraged by this this morning. This is just the truth. Once you were like sheep who wandered away before salvation. I got saved at three years old. I don't remember being a sheep. Trust me. Look at your life. You still struggle with obedience, right? So it doesn't matter if you were three or 33. Once you were like a sheep who wandered away. But now you have turned to your shepherd. In other words, you're not wandering freely. You're following Jesus. And how, why can we trust him? Because he's the guardian of your souls. You can trust him with your country. You can trust him with your family. You can trust him with your health. You can trust him with your job. You can trust him with your pastor. You can trust him with your church. Why? Because he's the guardian. And you may not like what he's doing in his world, but frankly, we're not doing so hot without him. He didn't ask you to approve of what he's doing. The disciples struggled with what he's doing. The question isn't whether or not our, our flesh isn't waging war with God's work in the world and in us. The question is, do we really believe that he's the guardian? If he does, you can trust him with whatever you're going through. You can trust him. Because he's, oh, I love this. Let me, let me tell you one more thing. I, I learned this this week. I'm going to throw some Greek out to you because it makes me feel good about myself. In Peter's short letter, he uses three terms for the concept of guardian in that verse. Oh, it's gone. In the verse, the guardian. One way is uh, episcope, which means protection through personal presence. In other words, God is personally present as the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is our guardian from within. Episcopos, the, gar- the, royal, uh, the role of guardian or protector. It's a noun. It means he is that. It's who he is. And the third is episcopu. It is a verb meaning to accept the responsibility of care for someone. So in other words... This is who God is, our guardian. This is what he does for us. This is his name for the child of God. I am your guardian. I will guard you. And I will continue to guard you until I bring you home. That's what Peter says. The question isn't whether he will. The question is whether we'll trust him in it. And that's hard. That's the war. And so, brothers and sisters, God is calling us in 1 Peter to do that which our flesh does not want to do, and that is, trust me to guard you. Trust me to guard you. I got this. Yeah, but you're taking too long. Actually, that's answered in Peter too. Let's close in prayer. I'm going to uh, be quiet for a moment, and I want you to talk to your Heavenly Father. If you are a child of God today, whether you are living surrendered or not, would you just, you know what it is you're struggling with trusting him with right now. You know what that is. It could be political, it could be family, it could be health-wise. Would you give that to him? Say, Lord, in, in the quiet of your heart, he will hear your voice. Would you just tell him, if you're my guardian, help me to learn to trust you.
give yourself to him. Instead of asking him to take your sin away, he's already done that if you're his child. Ask him to help you to trust him. And if you are not God's child here today, if you do not know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you were to die, if you would go to be in his presence and he would welcome you home, if your sin has not yet been forgiven, would you accept his offer to forgive your sin and become his child today and join us in our spiritual journey? Lord, we do love you. We may not trust you, but we do love you. And we love your law and we know what's good, but we're afraid that if we follow your law, we won't have peace or joy. So we worship peace or joy. It's become a God. Our idol isn't anything but ourselves. And so I pray for your children here this morning, watching online, I pray that today would be the day that we would only bow the knee to God, that we would seek His will on earth as it is done in heaven, and that our desire would be to honor you with our lives, that we would be the hot spot of God's presence in the earth, and that people would know our God through how we live, whether they want Him in their life or not. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for the Word of God and the great worship. We thank you for this young lady that publicly surrendered herself to you, and we pray you would bless her and protect her. And may your face to shine upon her, Lord, and may she be a powerful light for the kingdom on this earth in this dark place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Next Sunday's Mission Sunday. Make sure you're here for that. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. If you're new at Carpenter's Way and you have questions, we have an information table out there. We would love to meet you. Have a wonderful day. Remind me once again just who